We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. This morning we're going to continue our series called Resilient. In this series we've been looking how we can build resilience in our lives, that we might have the ability to face up to life with all of its hardships, with all of its difficulties and at time uh, pain, and how God empowers us to do this. Some friends of mine, when I was younger, had a plant growing down their driveway. It took pride of place in their house. As the spring came along, this plant would bloom. It would send up these lovely shoots, lovely green leaves, but in particular had these amazing pink and white flowers. And people would look at it and go, wow, that's such a, it makes me so joyful just looking at this plant. And one day there was a storm. One night there was a storm. There, there was a bit of wind, not enough to blow the, uh, the branches off the trees, but a bit of wind and some rain. And they came out the next morning and they found this plant, which was one of their most prized things on their property, had fallen down. It had fallen over. And they thought, how, how did this happen? How did this plant fall over? And they took a closer look. And what they saw is whilst this this uh, flowering plant was very large above the surface. Underneath the surface, it had a very small root ball. There were not many roots actually attached to it. And so when the wind came, this thing just blew all the way over. Now in this series, what we're trying to do is trying to help you not to be that plant. We're trying to help you so that when life comes with all of its difficulties, with all of its storms, that we can be a little bit more like the tree here behind me, with roots that go down deep and still able to produce something good up top. So we've been looking the last couple of weeks at the root system. Warren has been exploring that with us. He's shown us that we need to have a tap root, that's that big one down the center, that is dug deep into our identity in Christ. We also need to ensure our roots go deep by spending time of refreshment in God's presence and in his word. Today we're going to grow on these ideas and explore what is happening above the ground surface. So you see, the problem with my friend's plant is not just that it didn't have enough roots in its system, but that it was trying to produce a better looking plant than its roots were able to sustain. It put its energy into the leaves and the flowers and not enough energy into building depth. The same can be true in our lives. We can put a lot of energy into making great-looking leaves and flowers and not enough into making those strong roots. And what this usually looks like is a lot of time spent at work, either in our job or as volunteers or with our families, and not enough time resting. As the plant put in a lot of energy to produce flowers, so we put in a lot of energy to create something in our work, whether employed, at home, or volunteering. And the result is that we overwork. Now, overwork uh, is reaching pandemic levels in our world. And I don't say that lightly. The statistics bear it out. Check out these statistics. A June 2019 study of workers in the US, UK, Australia, and New Zealand by Asana found that 82% of people said that they overworked. 82% of people. According to an American Psychology Association survey, more than a third of workers experience chronic work stress, which can lead to anxiety, insomnia, muscle pain, increased blood pressure, as well as a weakened immune system. 
Uh, and according to another report released this year by the World Health Organization, they did some statistics from 2016, and they found that 745,000 people died in that year alone from overwork. They define overwork as people who work over 54 hours a week. Uh, these people face an estimated 35% higher risk of a stroke and a 17% higher risk of dying from heart disease compared to people who follow this accepted standard of 35 to 48 hours, 40, 35 to 40 hours per week. Now, you might not work that much in your place of work, but then consider the amount of work at your home with a sick relative or the work interruptions that seem to bombard us constantly. Uh, in 2014, The Economist reported that 60% of people who use smartphones are connected to their offices for 13 and a half or more hours per day. Overwork is a problem in our world. And when you ask people, how are you doing? What's the most common response? Oh, I'm real busy. So many, so many people are overworked, and this is going to destroy your resilience. How do you know this is you? There are some key signs. You may have difficulty relaxing. A to-do list that gets bigger, not smaller, keeps growing. The feeling that there are not enough hours in a day. An inability to get on top of your work. The uh, fact that you have to do work even when you're not at work. You may be uh, often thinking about work. You might be thinking about work even right now and planning, how am I going to meet this week's amount of work? Some of us... I see a few nervous nods out there. Some of us feel like we're slaves to this. We don't even know who we are anymore. We go to work and then we're someone else at home, but there's no us. We're just kind of this slave to this thing. We're trying to gain everything we think life is about, but we've lost our very sense of self. Here's a really helpful table for you. Psychologists Robert Yerkes and John Dodson developed the first version of this pressure performance curve back in 1908. And you can uh, see it up on the screen there. You can't quite see the X and Y axis. But on the up and down axis, we have the quality of our work performance. How good is the work that we produce? And on the left to right axis, we have the amount of pressure we face. Some people do not put themselves under any pressure at all, and they think that's healthy, but that would actually be what they call bore out. You know, you're bored. Life has no meaning, it has no purpose. We may talk about that more maybe in coming weeks, but most of us are really in the comfort, stress, uh, stretch, or strain level of pressure. Comfort is where you have some pressure. It's enough to motivate you to get things done, and you can function really happily here. However, we need a bit more pressure than this if we're actually to grow. That's where we move to what they call the ideal place, the stretch. At the point of stretch, your body's stress response releases the hormones, adrenaline and cortisol, which help us to perform at our best. We think more clearly, our vision is sharper, our hearing more acute. We're actually we're, we're designed to do work, and our bodies kick into action to make that happen. However, we don't want to be stretched all the time. The experts say an ideal zone for work cycles is to go between a comfort zone and a stretch zone. But let's pretend you've been in the stretch zone for too long. The pressure's increased, you've had no time to recover. What happens? Well, then you move into the strain zone. When pressure is too high, performance decreases. Our performance will exceed that of the comfort zone for a while, for a little bit, 
but soon the side effects of stress take over. Fatigue sets in, we start making mistakes, we start making errors, and it significantly, significantly decreases our resilience in all of our life. And when you enter that strange zone, you enter what they call the zone of delusion. Doesn't that sound great? How are you doing? Oh, I'm in the zone of delusion. <laughs> the zone of delusion is where we falsely believe our performance will improve if we keep working harder. We think, if I just keep going, I'm going to get more stuff done. But actually, our performance decreases. Rather than getting better, we start doing worse. We make mistakes. We can't focus. We frantically multitask, which you cannot do. And we do make those mistakes, those errors. The quality of our work suffers as a result. And maybe you look at that this morning and you go, oh, where am I? Maybe reflect on that for a second. Well, you do. I have another way to illustrate this. And for this, I actually need two volunteers who are happy to do a bit of a race for me. Uh, I'll get, get Tim. Can I ha have another? Ali, I'll get someone else this morning. Is there anyone else who wants to come and join me? Come on, Karen. All right, here we go. All right, Tim, you're going to stand on this side, and you're going to race to the back and touch the door. Karen, you're going to do... No, not now. I'll tell you when. Uh, Karen, you're going to stand there, and you're going to race to the end. But we're talking about responsibilities. So, Karen, I'm going to give you five responsibilities represented by these books. Right? The top one's even called Staying Power. Tim, I'm going to give you six books this morning. There's three of them. There you go. Just, just one more book. Just, just one more book. All right, there you go. Six books. Oh, and the winner, by the way, can have uh, their choice of chocolate bar. All right, so we're going to race to the, from here to the end and then back again once. Please don't drop those. Those are my commentaries. I need those to prepare sermons. And once you get back past the chairs, you won. You ready? On your marks. Get set. Go. <laughs> oh. This guy is pretty close. Here he comes. Hey! Well done. You can take a chocolate. Actually, you can both have a chocolate bar. Well done. <laughs> Tackle him. You can get it off him. You can. <laughs> well done, Tim. Hey, give Tim a hand in particular. He won that race. Has messed up our carpets here, though, Tim. What are you doing? So, so this is actually a perfect example. Because we can all, for a period of time, get into the strain zone, right? We can do that for a little bit. How do you think you would have done if you were running not just a race to the back uh, and to the front again, but a marathon? Yeah. Uh, if we carry these things for too long, if we carry them for too long, then they destroy our resilience and our ability to cope with life. So I have a question this morning. What is it that causes us to get into these work habits? I have uh, three things which I'm going to call syndromes, and I'm going to get you to identify yourself with one of these syndromes. Uh, but uh, please don't take that as, oh, I've got a syndrome. Uh, don't take that as a bad thing. Uh, what I want you to do is I want you to have a think about what is it that causes me to overwork? Well, the first one of these is something that I'm going to call the more syndrome. We say, look, I... I I just can't not. Do you know that for my job, as much as my job pays, and for the responsibility that I have, I have to work that hard. I have to do it. 
what we need to realise is that actually we have the job that we choose. We have the work life that we choose. It's not that someone else is necessarily making us do it. We don't have to do that job. And if we dig down, what we find is that sometimes the reason people are working is because there's actually a certain lifestyle they want to maintain. There are the cars that you've got. There are the, the house or the houses. There's the type of food that you've become accustomed to. There are the things that your children uh, need and the things that we think that we have to have. But actually, it's because at the root of it, we want more. We want more. We want more than our parents had. We saw they didn't quite have as much as we did or that we didn't have much growing up. And we don't want that for our kids. We want more. We want the holidays. We want to be able to do the things, the freedom in life, we might call it. The uh, writer of Ecclesiastes says this, Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Providing for our family is good. But sometimes, if we're honest, we actually want more. And I get this. I love technology. And I find that every time I get around someone who's got a new device, new computer, uh, new TV, I look at what they've got and I think, gosh, I'd like that. I really, really would. And I have to confront in my own life that more syndrome. The second one is what I'm going to call the Moses syndrome. Moses, when he led the people of Israel out of uh, Egypt, they had no laws, they had no government. And Moses was everything for them. He was their president, their high court, their treasury. He was their, their judge and their jury. He was everything. Then his father-in-law came along and spent a day with him, watching him resolve disputes and said, Moses, you're in danger of, of going past strain. You're in danger of burnout. You're in danger of, of just burning yourself out because you're doing so much. Exodus 18 says, uh, this is not good, Mo Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too, the people around you. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. So Moses sets up a system where people look after groups of 1,000, 150 and 10. I talked to someone the other day who told me they left their job and they had four people replace them. Well, in this scenario, Moses actually needs hundreds of people to replace him just to do the one job he was doing. He believed this thing that many of us believe, that if it is to be, then it is up to me. And what he needed to see is that actually him doing everything prevented people around him from stepping up and doing jobs that they could quite well do and could actually cause them to grow. The Moses syndrome is when we haven't seen the ways to allow others to do work. And we need to do what sometimes what only we can do and stay focused on those things and empower others. Make them better and do what only we can do. So there's the Moore syndrome, the Moses syndrome, and finally the me syndrome. The reason we often overwork is actually because of some internal emotional need. As we talked about in the first week, we're putting our worth in what we do rather than what God says about us. I remember showing that, that bell graph diagram to a group of teenagers around exam time. And one of them laughed and said to me, I live in the strain zone. And for her, it was almost like a badge of honour. Ha! Huh. You don't know how much work I do. And actually, if I sat down and looked at what she did, 
It was true. She was. She was living there. But for many people, they go, oh, I'm, I am a good person because I live there. What was she doing? She was looking to meet an emotional need about being somebody of significance by the work that she did. And what we often look for in overwork is to sometimes to prove ourselves so we feel worthy of our pay position or pay packet. Sometimes in our overwork, we're trying to avoid the difficulties from outside of our work. Sometimes we're trying to find control. The rest of our life feels out of control, so we look to exert control in our work life. To find power where maybe we haven't had any. And a key one, I think, is to be approved by others. We don't want to say no to work requests, because what will people think of us if we do that? We don't realize what we're doing when we do this is we're looking for our work to satisfy us in a way that only God should. The result is that we actually, at times, turn work into an idol. Exodus 20 verse 4 says, You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. And we go, great, I'm not sitting there with a piece of wood and carving something. But in our work, oftentimes we are. We're creating our work as an idol. An idol is anything that we look to to fulfill or satisfy us instead of God. When we look at our work as a source of our life, then that's what we're doing. So we have a more syndrome, never having enough. A Moses syndrome, believing we're the only ones capable of making things happen in life. A me syndrome, turning work into an idol by looking at it to make us a person of worth and significance. We need a new way to do our work, one where we're not overworking. We're not putting all of our energy into our leaves, and then when the storm comes, we're knocked over by that difficulty. The way of Jesus is awesome. And that's good news for us this morning. It is not the way of overwork. And he showed us this through word and deed. Matthew 11, verse 28 says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Wow. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Jesus is the one who gives us rest. Isn't the gospel good news? Through Jesus you are free. Free from those needs you uh, once had to prove yourself and find joy in temporary things. Free to simply be who God created you to be and to rest in that. He is the one who brings fulfillment for your souls and satisfies the deepest longings of your heart. He frees us from our need to search for approval, our propensity to see ourselves as the solution to all the problems happening around us and to allow us to find joy in what we have. Yes, there is still work, but comfortable and stretching work. And at times, a little bit, work that strains us, but we don't live there. Our trust in his perfection is what we need. And that means at the root of ourselves, we are okay And once you know you're okay at the base of your soul, then you can begin to find healing. 
You can be okay with having some time for refueling and enjoyment. You can be okay with not getting ahead in comparison to everybody else. You can do things with excellence, working as though you're working for God. God who accepts you as you are and calls you to be the most authentic version of yourself. Jesus gives us an example of what this looks like in the real world. Mark 1, verse 35. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Everyone's looking for you. But Jesus replied, We must go on to other towns as well. And I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. The most remarkable thing about this story is not what we usually think. What we typically talk about here is the way that Jesus went to find some space and time to pray. And it's very, very important, as we talked about last week. But what is more important is what he actually does next. The disciples come and tell Jesus that everyone's looking for him. And there is a heavy expectation that he will go back into the city and continue the miracle work that he has begun there. But Jesus, in effect, says, no, I'm not going to be doing that. I know everybody wants me to, but actually I've got other things that I'm going to do. And I imagine what people would have thought about him in that town. They would have said, wow, that was amazing for a little bit, but he's not really all he's cracked up to be, this Jesus guy. He couldn't even stay two days with us. Jesus would have lost some followers. Some people might have unliked him on Facebook. They might have given his crusade only three stars. It was great, but it was just a flash in the pan. It was gone, it was finished. Did this bother Jesus? Nope. Nope. We don't hear about Jesus going, oh gosh, Ah, it's just so hard, I can't, I can't do everything. Instead, he focuses, and he just does what he can do. Another time, Jesus is asked to resolve a dispute. Remember, resolving disputes is what Moses used to do. Here is Jesus' chance to show that he is the new and better Moses, the one uh, that everyone comes to and is the judge of all people. So how does Jesus respond? Luke 12, Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And Jesus can't be drawn on it. He doesn't even get involved. He refused just to be a legal judge, but instead he uses the opportunity to shine the light on the more critical issues of our heart condition and the greed that can so easily entangle us. Entangle us. What did Jesus know that we need to know? Jesus knew that he had limitations. He only had a certain amount of time and energy in his physical body. If Jesus was limited, then so are we. We need to be a bit humble sometimes and recognize our limitations. Are you aware of your limitations? Or are you eating away your resilience by doing more and more? Jesus said no to good things so he could say yes to better things. And sometimes we need to say no to good things. If Jesus needed to say no to them, so must we. Saying no gets a bad rap. There are times, though, that when we say no, we're really saying yes. You might say no 
to looking at your phone at home so you can say yes to having enough energy to be with your family. When you say no to doing overtime, you say yes to having enough energy to spend time with God. When you say no to your dream home, you can say yes to taking a job that you love, even if it pays less. You might say no to both parents working, so you can say yes to raising your children. You might say no to being on a board or in charge of an activity, so you can have the margin, the space, to say yes to having relationships with non-Christians. You might say no to doing more things so that you can say yes to uh, give what you are doing, the time and energy it takes to do it as well as you possibly can. You might say no as an employer to a massive new job so that you can say yes to the well-being of your employees. When you say no to an unrealistic future responsibilities, you are saying yes to being present in this moment. We need to get better at saying no. Not being lazy, but to be focused. To prune even good things out of our life so we might withstand all the storms that come against us with resilience. Let me sum this up this morning with one more piece of scripture. Thousands of years before Yerkes and Dodson's bell curve, even hundreds of years before Jesus, there was a great person of wisdom named the teacher, And his life observations are found in the book of Ecclesiastes. We've already read from it this morning. He didn't draw a bell curve, but he gave us an even better image to ponder as we consider our overwork. He said this in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 5. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. What a wonderful image. We can fold our hands and do nothing, but that's going to lead us to ruin. Or we can try and work and grab all that we can with both hands, but we become a slave to our work, and it's meaningless. Like trying to catch the morning fog with a plastic bag. It just isn't possible. Or we can choose to work hard and do things well, but then leave the other hand open for rest and for extra capacity for what God wants to put into it. This morning, if you realize that you're doing too much, that the pressure is straining you, you're trying to gain two handfuls with toil, and you want to find that place, and here's a phrase for you, of productivity with peace. Productivity with peace. Then God has that for you. Productivity with peace, to get to that point where you can still get stuff done, but also be able to rest. To have the space to pray, to do mission, and build relationships with people inside and outside of the church. To spend quality time with our spouse, with our children, with our, our family, the most important people in our lives. And in those moments, to be completely present to be there with them, not thinking about all these other things. Remember my friend's tree? Resilience is putting your energy into the things that will strengthen you and pruning the things that are good so that they don't weigh you down. Then when the hard times come, you are rooted firmly and you cannot be moved. Can I have the band up behind me?
You guys can just stay seated for a little bit. And I know that there are times when you just have to do what you have to do. There are seasons of that. If you've got young children, there's no way that you can just say, you know what, I'm just not going to be a parent today. There may be others around you who you can get involved to help you. But there are things that we can do. It begins with awareness, and then we can build from there. So this morning I have three questions for you. Three things for you to consider. And I'm just wondering if we can close our eyes for a moment, bow our heads, and prayerfully bring these things before God. Here's question number one. How is your resilience? If a big storm came into your life, would you weather it well or would you fall over? How is your resilience? Question number two. What good things have you said yes to that may be robbing you from the even better things that God has for you? Question number three. What is one little step that you can make now to bring productivity with peace? listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.